This episode is brought to you by JScreen. Help prevent cancer and genetic diseases in your family. JScreen now offers CancerGen, a state-of-the-art test that analyzes the BRCA genes and over 60 other cancer susceptibility genes. This test can be life-saving. And JScreen's ReproGen test screens for over 200 genetic diseases such as Tay-Sachs and cystic fibrosis. Genetic testing for reproductive risk can save your baby's life. Both tests are done confidentially from the comfort of your home on saliva and telehealth genetic counseling is included. Visit jscreen.org to request your screening kit and claim $50 off either of these tests, Reprogen or CancerGen, with the code JLP50 at checkout at jscreen.org. Offer expires 12 2021 and applies to those residing in the U.S. This episode is brought to you by Meet to Marry. If you're sick of attracting the wrong people, wasting time on dead-end relationships, and wondering how other areas of your life can be so great while your dating life is so, well, uh, disappointing, then it's time to try a radically new approach to call in the loving, lasting, healthy relationship of your dreams. Start doing that today by signing up for the free masterclass, the five powerful shifts to quit attracting the wrong men and finally summon your soulmate at meettomary.com forward slash Jewish love masterclass. That's meettomary.com forward slash Jewish love masterclass. Jewish Money Matters, episode 212. Jay Steinfeld, founder of blinds.com and author of Lead from the Core, the four principles for profit and prosperity. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. What would it look like to go to work every day and feel inspired, have fun, feel free to experiment and fail, and look forward to evolving? This is the type of consciousness that my guest today intentionally created for himself and for his team. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. I have Jay Steinfeld, founder and CEO of Blinds.com with us today. We talk about his new book that just came out last week, Lead from the Core, The Four Principles for Profit and prosperity. What are those four principles? How do they apply in business and life? Jay built the largest window blinds retailer in the world and later sold the company to Home Depot. What he built was much more than an online blinds retailer, as you'll soon discover. He led humans, he grew humans, and in the process, he grew himself. What were some of the pivotal and challenging moments of this business journey? What did he learn as a child about money and business growing up? The personal challenge that led Jay to get crystal clear and committed to the four principles he will share with you today. Here's Jay Steinfeld. Jay Steinfeld, it's so good to have you. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on the new book. It's so exciting. Lead from the core, the four principles for profit and prosperity. What 
a title and what a book. I have to say, I'm already diving in. I don't know if you saw my social media, but yesterday I said, this needs to be a required reading in every MBA program. I mean, I, I appreciate it. I actually spoke at the Rice MBA program a couple of nights ago. It was it was great. We could have gone on for hours. They were asking such good questions. Oh, really I'm, good. S- I'm so happy to hear that because I have to say when I was in business school, I mean, it's been a while. I graduated 2005, but we weren't learning this stuff. I'm hoping things have evolved. I'm pretty sure I, I presume they have. So I'm very happy that you came out with such a book and I'm, I'm glad that business schools are embracing it and you'll, you'll be there. Let's talk about, before we get to the four principles, let's talk about what was the impetus for writing this book? This is a new stage in your career. You sold blinds.com. Then you stayed for six years after you had sold it to yeah. Home Depot and you only recently retired, what, in 2020? And now we have a book. Well, it was, it was May 2020. That's true. But mm-hmm. I did not retire. I rewired. I love that. Yes. The reason I wrote the book was I knew I was going to be a step away from my company. And mm-hmm. look, I started it in in 1993. So it's been a mm-hmm. while. That's uh, t- almost 30 years seems to be enough to run a company. And I knew that when I stepped away, I wanted to make sure since my direct influence wasn't going to be there, that I could leave what brought us to where we were, mm-hmm. get that, make sure that the people there knew what it was that brought us there, especially the new people. And then as they came in, they could use these same principles mm-hmm. to project into the future so that we didn't lose the things that made us so good. Mm-hmm. And there were, we could beat Amazon and we could beat Home Depot and Lowe's and everyone else. So that was the original impetus. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize, you know, this could be a legacy for my children and for my grandchildren. And that turned out to be a big motivator. And then as I was teaching uh, in the business school and, and be, I'm on five boards, I realized that a lot of the things that I was writing about for my own employees were things that everybody needed in business to bring humanity back into business, to be respectful, to be generous, and to make sure that you're allowing personal development, helping people become the best that they could be. So these were tenets and facets of leadership that I felt were not really being tended to. And that's why I'm now promoting the book so well and why it's being so well received, because it's more than just a primer for Mm -hmm. how Blinds.com got built and how you can use those for your own business. Because you can actually not just make your own business more profitable, you can make your life more consequential. Mm -hmm. That's really the surprise of this book, how people are just hearing to that and saying, thank you for for helping me become the best that I can be. You know, I hear you and I get chills because like I said, it was so what was missing back then from school that I'm not surprised the, uh, the success that you had because when you start it was around the time that I was graduating, going into business. And the business. none of this, none of what you've mentioned was at the core of what we were learning. And it, it just, I always felt it was just really the missing piece. So let's dive into those four core values that you so intentionally set up and tell us what they are. And then I, then well, we'll dive in. I have a some some questions about even how we arrive at those, but yes, what well, are they? What are first, they? First, I, let's let's use this as the as the premise. I didn't set these up. Mm. These were not ideals or aspirational goals mm. that I said. These are the four things that we need to be able to do to be successful. I've read this, I've studied it, and these are the ones that we will do. No, that's not what happened at all. What it turned out was there was unfortunately in in my life, my wife passed away. Mm. She died 
of breast cancer just a year after I went full-time online. That was in August of 2002. And I needed to reassess my life, evaluate introspectively what it is that makes me tick, Mm. how I could be optimistic and sad, how I could figure out what the definition of my success is, how I could be optimistic, how I could raise my three children. Mm. These are all existential things that I needed to do. And then through that introspection and investigation and discovery, I determined that those four things are what drive me every day. Mm. And by knowing what drives me, I was able to then say, well, this is what I've been doing in my company. I've been evolving and I've been experimenting and expressing and having fun. It was all fun, enjoying the ride. Mm -hmm. And those became, because they were mine, authentic, my core values, not goals, but the DNA of what drives my behavior every day. And I think what you just said is key in this show. We talk a lot about, and I talk about it with my students also continuously about getting so clear on what our values are. And they're very individual. Like they're just these things that we are wired that are of the essence. They're just our DNA, like you said. And Jay, unfortunately, most people don't ever sit down and think about these things. Um, They don't, we can go through life and spend our time and our money in complete misalignment with the values that we want to be supporting. Like when we look at back at our life, it's just what I lived for, right? Did I, did, did my actions, my calendar and my, my wallet showed that this is what mattered. And so I'm so impressed that, you know, perhaps it was a tragedy that brought you to this point, but I, I don't think that, I don't think that you would have not gotten here. Um, had the tragedy not happen. Um, I think the message here is we can all get to this point. We should all get to this point. It doesn't need to be a tragedy to get us to it. Well, that, that's true. There doesn't need to be. But I do ask myself the question. Mm. It's a painful question, and it's yeah. impossible to answer. Yeah. If my wife had not died, would I be here talking to you? Would yeah. I have been able to build this company of such consequence that Home Depot wanted to buy it and, and others. So I, I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. All I can say is, please, time is fragile. Yeah. Life is fragile. You don't want to go through life and then regret that you didn't understand what makes you tick. Exactly. You go through life and say, I did everything I thought I was supposed to do. Yeah. But I'm not happy. Yeah. I'm not fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And, my definition of success is being in the process of evolving and helping everybody around me get better. Mm-hmm. That way you can be successful every day. Yes. You can be successful multiple times during the day, especially when you find out that there's something that's fragile about you or a disadvantage or some, some uh, failing that you have. Mm. That's okay because that just gives you more headroom. There's more things that you can do to evolve and get better. And some things you can't. And for those, you hire other people to do. But it's so great to be able to say, I am successful every day of my life yeah. because I got just a little bit better. It could be a half a percent or I help somebody else by a half a percent get a little bit better. That is success to and me. I- 
I, I love that definition. And I love that it's so service driven. That is something in, in terms of like, I'm here to serve. Like God gave me these talents, this, these challenges, these experiences, right? What do I do with them? They're for the service of his world. Like what, what am I? I'm, I'm here. I'm showing up. What do I need to do with all this? And I think that is such a motivator for us to get up and go to work every day and build and create an experiment, right? There's something exactly. I'm here to give. So let's dive into those four principles because they I you're yeah. giving to yourself too. This is exactly. not all exactly you're not just you're you are thinking of yourself first. Because if you're not strong, if you're not whole, you can't give. A hundred percent. Once once you're solid and have that foundation, the only way you're gonna do anything of consequence is to help people around you become consequential. Yes. Yes. Yes, which you have definitely done. And I want to talk about that, um, your your leadership and your ability to build teams. But let's start with the co- four core principles that, um, as you say, they're not just about business. They're not applicable just in business, but you've applied them to your personal life. What are those? Well, there are the four E's. Mm-hmm. The first E, and they all start with the letter E. Mm-hmm. The first E is to evolve continuously. And that means you evolve you help everybody around you evolve. You help your service providers evolve, mm-hmm. your customers, your, your company, your department, everybody within your sphere of influence. Your goal is to help people evolve. And wow, if everybody in your company is trying to evolve, is, is knows it's a mandate that you must, mm. and likes it. They actually enjoy that. And their goal is to help other people evolve, then you have a company that automatically, autonomously is excellent. It just continues to get better and better without you telling people they need to because it's automatic. It's part mm-hmm. of the DNA. That was really the success. Everybody was always getting better or helping others get better. That's an amazing culture to be in. The amazing. Second, can, the but second, can I ask a question on that? Yes. How- how do we measure that? Like, what are the metrics that we have? Like, are we measuring this in some way? How, how, how do we get, help us, help us get practical on this one? Well, uh, when you evolve, usually you evolve just barely. And that's Mm -hmm. hard to measure until one day you wake up and you go, wow, I've really gotten good at that. Mm -hmm. It just, it's a, it's a, a power curve, an exponential curve. That's yeah, it compounds. Very, very mm-hmm. slow and compounds over time. Exactly. So I don't know how you can measure it, but what you can measure is what are the things the organization needs and are the people able to do it? Oh, uh, so we could reverse engineer? Yeah, you reverse it and you say, what are the things that we need to do next week, next year? And are we capable of being able to do that? Do we see and can we see the trajectory of the people and the organization? being capable to do what we need and we must do a year from now, Hmm. two years from now. As the CEO, my timeline, of course, was almost infinite. What could we become? But then you have to be more practical. So you have this big vision, but you take dead aim, dead aim Mm -hmm. as to current needs. So I think you measure it by what do you have to do and are your people capable of doing it? And if they're not, that means they haven't evolved. And your job as a leader is to help them evolve to become that 
so that they're automatically doing it as fast as the company needs to be. Look, I was petrified that I was not going to be as CEO capable of evolving as fast as I felt the company needed to be. And once you take outside money, other people are going to start making that determination too, as to whether you are capable. So there was some fear, paranoia Mm. with me that I would not be able to, to, to go from, look, just an idea as a blind salesperson, CPA, and be able to build this company and building it to hundreds of millions of dollars and selling it to Home Depot was quite a shock. But I was able to do it because I evolved. And in order to do that, you go to the second E. Mm -hmm. And that's experiment. Experiment without fear of failure. The only way you're going to get better is to take chances in trying new things. Mm -hmm. The only way you're going to find out what will work and what won't work is to test it. And if all you do are test things that you know are going to work, you're not experimenting at all. All you're doing is doing really small little things Mm -hmm. and aren't going to really move the needle that much. Now, if you do enough of those, it will, because those compound over time as well. But we had uh, an ethos that said, just try. Let's just give it a shot. Mm. We're never going to bet the farm. So when you say experiment without fear of failure, people are worried about experimenting and losing money or losing time or losing face, losing stature, being embarrassed by not being able to get a raise because you messed up. Mm -hmm. The only way you're going to really do something big is to do a lot of little things Mm -hmm. fast and experiment for the purpose of making everything a little bit better. So those two things, those first two E's, evolve and experiment work hand in hand, hand in hand. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, the experimenting, we can grasp it on a personal level. And I think, you know, I'm very, I'm, I, I tend to be of that nature and probably a lot of the reader uh, listeners are, but tell us on a practical level, how do we reconcile, you know, as leaders, our need, especially in a growth stage, well, in any stage of the business, right. For people to get things done in a certain way because we've delegated certain things and they need to happen in a certain way and not mess up, quote unquote, with the importance of messing up, the importance of experimenting and taking risks, measured risks, perhaps. So how do we how do we reconcile the tension between both? Because it's not a free for all. It's not we're here experimenting on my time and dollar. um, And it's also not a dictatorship either that we're running. So how does this work in practice? What's, well, the a, what's thing, a system? The, it, there, there has to be some, it can't be anarchy. Mm-hmm. It can't just be anybody doing what they want to do. And if you're a pilot, you're not going to be doing experimentation of doing uh, flips in the air just to see if you can do it. I mean, there are certain constraints for every business. When you're operating on somebody, you don't experiment with, the, with somebody's life. Mm-hmm. But what you do is you set an environment that says it's okay to experiment and we expect you to experiment. How do we set up that environment? We had two giant test tubes. They were five foot tall each. In one test tube, if you made an experiment and it did not work, you put Mm -hmm. a marble in that one. If it did work, you put the marble in the other one. Mm -hmm. Well, the one that had all the marbles was the one that did not work because we wanted to show It was okay to try something, even if it didn't. Mm -hmm. Now, what you do is you look at experiments and you make make some uh, educated guesses. 
and you say, which are the things that we can try that are the easiest things that cost the least amount of money, but have the greatest impact mm-hmm. a four, you know, a two by two magic quadrant grid and everything in the upper right are the things you try first because they're mm-hmm. easy and they have the greatest potential impact. But if you do a lot of things with small impact, eventually that will become big impact. So you do look at upside, you look at downside, and you look at that asymmetric risk. And if the upside is way bigger than the downside, and you can live with the downside, what do you have to fear? There's nothing Mm -hmm. to fear. There are things that you must do, and those things take priority. There are things you you have to bring in the money, you have to pay your employees, you don't experiment with that. You do those things, the basics, and then you make time for experimentation. I think that's key. The the making time. What I'm hearing from you is that this is intentional. This is built into what goes on in the company. Um, it's not. We're not paying l- just lip service to this. Uh, it sounds to me like this looks like there are sessions built in our calendar as a team where we toss up these ideas. You know, is is that sort of? And we then choose what we're going to be playing with. We have a list. it could have hundreds of things on the list of experiments that we want to try that everybody has an an opportunity to, to tell us about, which is we'll get to that. That's uh, the third E express yourself. We Mm -hmm. want everybody to have a voice and to be able to express whatever they think could work. Mm -hmm. That's part of the, the environment as well. But if you have a cadence, a structure way of, of experimenting, where you've ranked all of your experiments and every week, every two weeks, no later than every month, Mm -hmm. reassess these items on the list and you look at ease, you look at benefit, and you look at the ones that have the the most amount of ease, the the easiest and the greatest impact. And those are the ones you try first, unless there's something that is existential, like our website's down, we've got to fix that, then all those experiments are off. You've got to get that fixed instantly. If people aren't getting paid, you fix that instantly. But we had a schedule and every two weeks, we'd look at the list and we'd see this whole list and would reassess, reevaluate the list and go, okay, we're going to do this one next. Then we're going to do that one. Just like you do in an agile development with uh, technology, Hmm. You look at the different use cases, you determine what you think you need to do. And every week or every two weeks, you have a sprint review and decide these are the things that we think we should do next. But they're all lined up, ready to go. But anytime somebody can come up with an idea that trumps everything else and they go, wow, we've got to bring this one to the top. And if somebody tells you something, an idea, this is an express yourself, and you're not going to do it but you still think it's a good idea. You don't just say, no, we're not going to do it. You say, it's going on the list, but look at all these other things that are on the list. Show them the list. Show them all these other ideas that you have reprioritized above that. And if you ever do get to their idea, let them know. We tried it. It worked. We tried it. It didn't work. But by all means, let them know the results of that. What's a great tip is if a customer sent, writes in and you want to always get input from customers, I mean, that's pretty basic. 
If you do it right back to that customer and say that idea worked and we tried it and now all customers are going to have a greater experience because of that tip that you gave us. Oh my God, that customer is going to be so loyal and love mm-hmm. it because no, they, they write things and they never expect to get results or responses. Just be respectful to people. That's really all I'm talking about. Reproductive genetic testing before marriage has been a widely accepted practice in our community for decades. And because of this, fewer babies have been born with genetic diseases. The process really works. I've done it, and so will my children one day, please God. But with the advances in modern technology, there's even more we could be doing, and JScreen is here to help. JScreen provides affordable at-home testing and genetic counseling via telehealth. Their testing panel consists of over 200 conditions and was carefully designed with the health of the Jewish community in mind. And did you know that Ashkenazi Jewish men and women face a 1 in 40 risk of carrying mutations in the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes? This is more than 10 times the risk in the general population. When a person knows they carry one of these mutations before they develop cancer, they can take advantage of available options for medical management and cancer risk reduction. This test saves lives. Whether kids are in your future or you want to know your risk of cancer, take control. Genetic testing saves lives. Go to jscreen.org today and claim $50 off testing with the code JLP50. That's jscreen.org code JLP50. Hey, are you sick and tired of attracting the wrong people, wasting time on dead-end relationships, and wondering how come other areas of your life can be so great while your dating life is so disappointing? Is this the year that you want all that to change? It's time to try a radically new approach. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is a definition of insanity, period. Sign up for the free masterclass, the five powerful shifts to quit attracting the wrong men and finally summon your soulmate at meettomary.com forward slash Jewish love masterclass. There you'll learn from Barry Lyman, founder of the Meet to Marry method, endorsed by author and educator Steve Covey as smart, principled, and engaging. Ready for change? Ready to finally find your soulmate? You know you are. Sign up for the free masterclass at meettomary.com forward slash Jewish love masterclass. want diverse people in your organization. D&I, diversity and inclusion is, is important in equity. But what you really want are diverse views. Mm. People coming at a problem in different ways. And with a diverse workforce, you do get diverse views and that's important. So you want to hire different types of people so that they can provide you with different types of views. And of course, the more data that you have, the more data points you have, the better decision you can make. I want to talk about I want to talk about hiring in a minute, but I want you to go through the next two E's because I think they're all important. And one of them is my favorite. So what are the next two E's? Well, there's only one left. There's, we've done evolve. We've done experiment. We've done express yourself. Oh, yes. The and the fourth one is... That's my favorite. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> Have fun. 
And it, it doesn't mean play ping pong or foosball or have free food and cake and all that. Well, you did have that, that stuff. We <laughs> did have all that. We did. We did. We had all those I've things. I've been at the office. I've seen it. <laughs> yes, we did have every one of those things. We even had giant lava lamps, which turned out to be a catastrophe. They they broke and they flooded. It was anyway. <laughs> but we had giant lava lamps. So yeah, we did crazy stuff like that. But enjoying the ride means doing things that you've never done before. It means working really hard, really hard, and evolving and experimenting and trying something and doing things that people said you could never do needing way more money. And that's what, that was like the story of blinds.com. We did so much more than people thought we could using so little money that people Mm -hmm. thought we needed. And at the end of the day, we'd say, look what we've done. This is amazing. Uh, Writing this book, there've been a lot of my employees that have former employees who are writing in to say, oh, I remember that story that you wrote in the book. That was thrilling. I mean, somebody just today wrote a post and said, page 42 was my favorite page. I remember being in the room when that decision was made. It was thrilling. Oh, my God. That's that's so awesome when people remember that. And when I write it, they actually can relive that. It's, It's pretty awesome as an entrepreneur to have people who are just as thrilled about something as you are, and then be able to pass it on to other people so that they can experience it and know what's important, the people, the experiences, the how the decisions were made, how bad decisions were made, and how to prevent those decisions from happening. All of that is fun. When you improve and you do things that you never thought you could do, at least to me, that's, that's a load of fun. I think this is the perfect segue to my next question. You didn't say this, but it's implicit in what you said. There's something to be said for the fact having fun does have a lot to do with having people capitalize on their strengths. So many times we get, we put ourselves perhaps into a, a role that really why are we doing this? It's not fun for me. It's not my strength. It's not where I shine. There's so much more to me. Somebody else could be doing this. I need to be in this other area. So there's so much here. And I think it speaks to your ability to hire, which is something that stood out from the, I haven't gone through the entire book, but I'm I'm just in the first few chapters. From the early days, um, Jay, well, you were, you were, you literally started this company from your garage, right? And it was the, just me. I took orders literally from my car. Right. And and so one of the things that that you know, one of the things that stand out about blinds is your very low turnover rate. Like people really loved working this this culture, this environment that you build, right? Your leadership skill. But there's something a little bit more nuanced in your and I don't think it's luck. From the early stages, you found people who came into your team that not only believed in your vision and, and, and were aligned with you, but they were really good at what they did. And so I want you to speak a little bit about this because I think there's a Jay Steinfeld magic formula here that um, is, it's important to hone into. What, what is this? Well, I think my own, if somebody says, asks me the question, what is your superpower? 
my superpower is definitely be able to hire teams and form teams and provide good direction for the team and then to let them do what they are capable of doing. Yeah, I could see that. So how is that? An, what is yeah, that you're is, looking it's intentional. for? But at the beginning, I knew none, none of these things that I'm talking about right now, I knew when I started. Mm-hmm. I, I really knew nothing. And I'm, this is not false modesty. I knew nothing. All I knew was how to sell blinds and I was a ZPA. That's it. And I had good intent. Uh, so uh, I think what it was is, and even though I was not consciously aware of this, mm. I knew that I wanted to help myself get better and help everybody around me get better. So I don't know that I was at the early stages hiring the best talent for a job. Mm. These were people who me, to me, felt like, and I didn't have a good formula at the time, we developed it to determine, yes, this is a person who wants to improve. This Mm -hmm. is a person who seriously already is in the process of improving something in their life. Mm. You have people who already are aligned with with what your values are, such as uh, if, if improving, if evolve continuously is one of the things that are important, then tell me about some things you do right now in your life to get better at anything, at cooking, mm-hmm. at re- reading, at being more patient, at quitting smoking, at flying. You you ask behavioral questions like that, which I again didn't do at the beginning, but I was I must have felt it because I was hiring good people who were aligned mm-hmm. and stars. None of us were well known. Uh, I didn't hire marquee people. We hired people who just had the right core values. And we were able to figure it out on the, along the way. Mm. I was going to say now what I know is know what those core values are. Make sure that you ask behavioral questions to find out whether they align with those. Like mm. if uh, experiment without fear is one of yours. You might ask a question like, tell me about something that you did that where you had like no roadmap and you, you just went out and, and winged it. Uh, some answers I got were, well, uh, my friend and I went to Vietnam with just backpacks. Mm-hmm. And we had no idea where we were going to go. That's an awesome answer. That's like the best answer I've ever heard because they're, they love the ambiguity. They love exploration. And they knew they didn't have a linear path to get somewhere and they'd figure it out along the way. That's the kind of person I would want to hire. And mm-hmm. if I would ask them a question and they would disagree with me in the interview, awesome. There's a person who is speaking up, who is expressing themselves. Great. This is a person I want to have in my organization who, even in an interview, is willing to disagree with me. I mean, it's hard enough to get people to disagree with the boss because that's just inherent. You know, you've got this implied inherent power and um, hierarchy and people are afraid to do it, but not everybody. And you mm-hmm. want to make sure people speak up. So those are the things you do. You know what your what your values are, and you hire for those people. You don't bring them in and then try to indoctrinate and embed these things into them. Mm-hmm. Find out if these are core to these people before they've even come to you, and you've got a much greater chance of it working out. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, one of the things... Obviously, you look for skill. 
mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people with the skill. There aren't a lot of people right. who have the, the right uh, DNA that will be a good match. Right, right, right. I, 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 I read something in the early stages of you start starting blinds that really stood out um, because it's not what we hear often. Again, there's a lot of things, by the way, I, I was saying on social media yesterday, I don't know how a business book is meant to make. A, now, what did I say? I didn't realize a business cook, book could make you cry, but I've already cried twice reading this book. So. <laughs> I saw Ita Cutler last night and I told her, I'm crying reading at Jay's book. <laughs> Anyhow, I I, <laughs> well, there actually a lot of people have, have told me that. Because this is yeah, this is a tactical, strategic business book, but it's told in memoir narrative style. So it's it's almost like a fable, but it's real. It's all it's, real. It's real. not based I mean, on a true story. This is a true story. This is a true story. It, it has to do in, at the beginning with death. Yeah, yeah. The death of my wife and the death of my mother, and it's heartfelt. And I'm I try to say it as raw and as real as I can possibly do it. And I think a lot of people like the fact that it's not just this superficial um, book that just glosses over everything. Sure. It's like everything is great. No, everything is not great. And it tells you the things that were not great. So maybe you can avoid them and you can be sensitive to them and you can build this company without having to suffer the things that I had to mm. do. Or you okay. can embrace the challenge. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and it goes back to that first core idea that you mentioned about bringing the humanity into business. Yes, it's a human book. Here's a human who experienced this. I was going to ask you something about the early days, but now we're in this tangent. So why don't we go to the challenges and failures? Because it's it's so easy to, you know, re, you know, know about these business stories and, you know, A to Z and this was a success. And a lot of the the beauty in the failures and the setbacks and the challenges and the things where the, the, the business owner wakes up and says, how could we have messed up so big, right? There's so much that happens there. That's exactly where everything happens, to be honest. That's what got us to this other point gets yeah. glossed over. So I don't want us to gloss over that. Tell us about some of those challenges and setbacks that stand out in your memory as having been like so pivotal and they changed everything. Well, first, let, let me just say, in a in my typical uh, conceptual, existential, philosophical way, that all the things that didn't work, I am so glad they didn't. Mm-hmm. Because if any of those things would have happened, then who knows what, what could have been today. I wouldn't be talking to you. Mm-hmm. I would have sold to Home Depot. I don't know. So... My philosophical view is I'm glad that all the things, I've got this long list of things that I wanted to happen, but didn't. Wow. Acquisitions, people, um, uh, money, funding from certain venture capital firms that I wanted, that I thought we were going to get and didn't. An acquisition that I thought we were, we were going to make, and it fell apart like a week before. Selling the company to a big company, a which you would know and famous person um, who I don't mention in the book, but I talk about this story. And we were two weeks away from close and it fell apart because a new CEO came in at one of the subsidiary companies who was going to be running it and decided, nah, I don't think I want a a blinds company. 
Oh my. What have we been doing? And of course, the amount of money they were going to give, which was a, a lot, or it seemed like a lot, was nothing compared to what Home Depot ended up paying. So thank God that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So all I can tell you is if you're trying to do something and if it doesn't happen, I don't believe really in a shirt. It was meant to be, okay, I think it's it didn't happen. Maybe it wasn't meant to be, but it happened. So now what do we do? Yeah. You just move on and that's it. You just move on. So, okay, some of the things that um, messed up, well, a lot, there's a lot of marketing things that we tried to do that, that worked. A, a program where we were putting our ads on coat hangers mm-hmm. for dry cleaner <laughs> stores, and that was ridiculous. I mean, we spent probably $50,000 on just the artwork and getting all these hangers out to dry cleaners. I don't think we got one sale. Oh, you may. <laughs> Not even one. <laughs> so that was bad. Plenty of people that we hired early that mm. didn't work out that we thought, wow, that person has done all this, but they, they weren't, they were managers. They were, they were, they were farmers. They weren't hunters. Mm-hmm. They weren't builders. And when you have a, a young company, you need basically all builders, everybody creating, building. And we were hiring non-builders. We were hiring, hiring uh, farmers. Yeah. So that, that, those, we made a lot of those kinds of mistakes. Prioritizing the wrong project. Mm-hmm. Taking, oh, this is the one that we did every year. And we always said we would never do it again. <laughs> we took on too much. And look, you're, when you're an entrepreneur, you're pretty optimistic. I'm a positive person. I look yeah. on the side. But every year at, when we went to our, our planning, uh, our offsite, we would come up with all these projects. And we would look at each other and we say, I think there's too much. And people would say, no, we can do all that. So we put it on the list. And halfway through the year, we haven't even done like three of them, three out of 10. So every year we'd say, we're not going to do it. And every year we still had too many on the list. That is, I don't know how we, we ever was, was able to put so many things on a list and, and believed in ourselves that we could do all those things. One year I actually said, okay, put the list, prioritize it. And then when it's done, I am going to put a line under number three and everything <laughs> below this line, you can't. And I did that. But they still talked about it. They still were planning these things because they figured as soon as they're through with one, two, and three, they could do that. But that meant that one, two, and three were taking too long. That was probably the biggest problem we had is just tackling too much. Focus, focus, focus on just a few things, two or three things. Have some a, one must win, focus on the must win, and maybe a couple of other things, and that's it. Yeah, you, I'm hearing you speak. It just it's so challenging for people who are innovators and creative and like they're giving the space like we are here to build something right Just to just like stay focused on the core of what we need to get. It's a, it's a, it's a delicate balance. And, and it is. it's a delicate balance. But if you have that list, like the experimentation list, we would only do one or two experiments at a time there. We did it. Uh-huh. Because we just didn't have the manpower. And it was just a certain group that was doing those experiments. And there's just a, a, a capacity limit as to how many of these things you can do. Mm. Plus any experiment, you don't want to have too many variables going at the same time. You really only want to change one variable and see if that one variable made a difference. And if mm-hmm. it does do the, the second one after that, but I think it's capacity as I think about it. 
too too much too soon. Hmm. Hiring the wrong people early and really not not having any plan at all was probably the the greatest problem. In the early days, you're saying. In the early days. Yeah. 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 How does how does experimenting um, man apply or manifest itself in our personal life? Like, what does that look like from your estimation? Okay, this is this is a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Most people don't get into experimentation on a personal level. And, you know, you know there are some people <clears throat> that go to the same restaurant every time on the same day, and they order the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's a portion uh, of your brain that you just have some limited capacity. So look, it's easy. You know, you're going to like it. You do it and you like it and you move on. How about one day you just change it mm. and you say, instead of ordering that one, I'm going to order this one. I don't know if I'm going to like it, but are you really afraid of just eating something for one meal? That's going to not be as good as the other thing. Maybe you'll like it better. Just try that. Just try going a different direction, a different route someplace and see if it turns out better. Or if you just see something new that you never knew it even existed. Little things like that. If you've got an experimental mindset, you will start doing more and more of those little things. Mm. And you'll say, I spoke to my significant other in a certain way. That didn't work. Hmm. Maybe I should try another another approach. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of logical, but a lot of people just keep doing it the same way, the same way, and then there's tension. Right. Try experimenting with a different type of communication pattern. So there's yeah. little things that you can do. Try something new. Try anything new, but really small. You don't have to do a lot. Yeah, it goes back to that curiosity, right? And what would it look like if, if I did this differently, like what, you know, let me go there. I love that. I love that. Let's talk about curiosity, but it's also, it's about, and it's not even about complacency or improving. Mm. It's about just adding a little spice, Mm. about changing it up, not being stagnant, not being in a rut where you're doing exactly the same thing all the time. Which then brings me to have a little fun. Yeah. Which brings me to how these four core values work together, which you mentioned in the book. And I, and I agree with you. I think they really do need, they don't work. They need to be together. (laughs) They all work individually, but they're way more powerful when they work together. That's it. That's it. Very well said. You talk about your parents in the book, Jay. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you saw as a child with regards to money and business, perhaps, and some of those childhood memories and experiences. As you know, so much of the way we relate to money and manage money, and obviously this impacts business because business is here to make money, ultimately, um, has to do with what we saw as children. Share maybe perhaps some of those lessons, those experiences that stand out as having shaped you as an adult. The first chapter has a lot on this. There's, There's a few stories that really matter to me. We did not have a lot of money. We lived in an apartment. I shared a room with my with my brother. I have one sibling. He's uh, about a year and a half younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And although we weren't poor, we didn't look at ourselves as poor. We seemed fine. I mean, I saw a lot of other people that lived in houses and had more money or had bigger apartments. Uh, 
uh, drove nicer cars or had two cars. <laughs> we had one. But what, what, and my father did not, was not very successful financially. It's mm-hmm. that simple. He was striving and tried the best he could. Mm-hmm. So I learned, but he had a lot of enthusiasm. Mm. And as I learned later in life, he had a lot of not just enthusiasm and drive, but he also had enthusiasm for music and art. And those are some of the, th- the facets, skills that I have to a much lesser degree than my dad, who was a professional. And those really helped me become understanding spatial uh, relationships and even the wow. way we like art. <clears throat> but my mom, she brought it all in. She, she went, did every little odd job she could. And with, with no complaint, <clears throat> never complained. She just did what she needed to do. And I think that's what I learned from my mother, that it wasn't as much as it was grit. Mm. It was it, almost an inherent motivation, a nonchalant, matter-of-fact way of saying, this is what needs to happen, and therefore, you do it. Mm. I just think I saw her do things that had to be done without complaining in this nonchalant way. And I think I, this was only in retrospect that I've actually realized mm. that. <clears throat> but for instance, in Little League, she would, uh, I'd be raising money for the team, as people do in scouts and things like that. And she would let me go to the door and then she'd run around the corner in the apartment down the hall and allow me to do all the selling by myself. But I knew she was around the corner and she was there to help me and let me do it by myself to develop my, my pitch, yeah. my confidence. But she wasn't there. And I think the fact that she allowed me to be independent and do things myself, but yet was there be, behind me, I knew she was there and could uh, pull me out of the fire if, if necessary. That was that was great. So the conf- the confidence that I developed being independent with her support and her nonchalant way of doing things and having uh, side hustles, like she would sell jewelry, she'd buy jewelry from from uh, antique stores and then sell them to her friends. She had had a whole inventory of that. She did this decoupage artwork that mm-hmm. she made and learned how to do it and sold those. So it just being an entrepreneur, not of any great magnitude, but just in a everyday kind of way said, yeah, that's pretty good. So I think when I saw that, it stayed with me. And in high school, I was coaching some, some teams and we needed T-shirts. So what did I do? I formed a little company with my best friend, Gary, and we formed uh, SAGSC, Steinfeld and Goldsmith Shirt Company, <laughs> and designed and made shirts for our teams and started selling them it. on campus in high school because there was a need and we fulfilled it. And it was fun. That, that's actually the first time I realized that being in business could be fun. Mm-hmm. It was always fun. And we were evolving then, again, not consciously knowing that's what we were doing, but we were experimenting, trying it, didn't know what to do, but we figured it out. It really. I just sent him a book uh, last week. And it turns out that 
he's written a book too, and and he's also teaching. And he was a he's a really successful advertising uh, the, the national creative directory director for a very large uh, advertising agency. So oh my! Our lives have been almost like parallel, and yet we were in the fog, not knowing about each other passing through the, through the night. It's, and now that we've reconnected, <clears throat> it's been amazing it's to to retract and say, "Yeah, remember when we had SAGSC." That is so cool. And and everything that you shared right now really just it's unbelievable. It brings us back to those four E's like, you know, that anecdote of your mother just she I trust you. You go do it like she's letting you experiment like, yes, maybe we talked about this a little bit. You got some input from me, but you're at it. You know, fail fast, figure it out, get up and do the next pitch at the next apartment. You you can do this. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Jay, let's wrap it up with what I like to call Jewish money matters fill in the blanks. And this is a part of the show where I'm going to ask you an open ended question and you fill, finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. I should have watched a few more of your episodes to there, know what your there, question is. There you go. Don't okay. worry. I'm sure you're going to do great. Just fill in the All blanks right. for me. Okay. When I give Sadaka, I like to give to. Uh, organizations that help people become better mm. than they believe they could be. I love that. Any in particular that stand out, tell us so we can support them too. Well, JFS. Yes, they do a great job. They do wonderful work. They really do. So important. Yeah, I, mean, um, I mean, I'm looking at giving money to prisoner entrepreneur program, helping mm-hmm. prisoners mm-hmm. get out of jail and become entrepreneurs. I've spoken there three times and it's amazing what they do. So anything like that, where you, where they're a smaller organization and they have the opportunity to directly influence people to actually lift themselves up. Yes. Education is especially the kinds of things we want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Less fortunate. Yeah. I think it's just so important because if, if we, if we really get this, that we're here to, to grow, to constantly evolve, to constantly find a need and serve, you know, and use our capabilities to serve, fill that void, that need. Like you talk about you and your friend finding there's a need for t-shirts. Here we go. And guess yeah. what? It's fun because we're good at this. So it just naturally becomes fun. Um, it's also when you're, when you say evolve, one of the stakeholders is your community. Yes. So one of the reasons why we gave so much, it was not because we felt obligated, although we did feel obligated to do it, but that doesn't mean you actually do. Mm -hmm. We did it because we wanted to make sure everybody knew that everybody within our sphere of influence could use help. Hmm. We would help ourselves. We would help everyone else. We would help the community. And that was a really key part of Evolve Continuously. Sadaka, giving to us outside the organization. Amazing. So beautiful. I like to make more money because this is a tricky one. No, it's not tricky. I'm kidding. <laughs> like to make more money uh, because I'd rather make more money than less money. <laughs> but why? What's the why behind the money? Come on, James. Well, freedom, independence. <laughs> you want more money so that you can basically control your, your own destiny. You, mm-hmm. the independ- money gives you independence it gives you health when you might not have it. It gives you the freedom to travel. It gives you the freedom to take a better job or a different job. It's really, a, it's all about independence and being able to 
live the life that you want as opposed to what other people restrict you to do. Yeah, it affords you opportunity. You know, I like to, I like the sound of this because so many people talk about like having an emergency fund. And I always tell my students, not about an emergency fund. How about we shift it and we call it an opportunity fund? Like if I had this money sitting in the bank, what could it afford me if I had the opportunity to start my own business or to provide a different kind of healthcare for me and my family, whatever it might be, right? Where's the opportunity here? So love that. Something I wish I'd learned about money growing up is... Something I wish I'd learned about money. That's a tricky one also. I'm going to have to think about that one a little harder early because I think what I learned about money early is that you don't need a lot of money to be happy. Wow. And Because we didn't have it and we were very happy. Mm. So I think that lesson for me was a good one. Interesting. Interesting. I, I don't know that there was, I'm not sure it could be any better than that. Yeah. True for me. Yeah. You know, as we see your journey, it doesn't, obviously the money is a motivator because a business has to make money, but it sounds like I wouldn't say the money, the money behind the business was like what drove you. And it's not what comes across at all. No. In fact, we had two stockholders. This is one of my favorite stories also. Tell me. Where they were, they just wanted us to give out dividends. They wanted to, the money we were making, we were making a lot. Mm. They wanted me to distribute it. And I was the biggest stockholder. So I would actually get the most, but I didn't want to do it. I wanted to put the money back into the company to grow it because I knew we had greater potential. Wow. Turns out we bought those two stockholders out. And that was a huge, huge relief and a great opportunity for us to finally put the money into the company and spend it all on growth. Wow. What a story. I mean, talk about leadership. That's a hard call to make. That takes a lot. That didn't, that was an easy decision to make. That wasn't hard. I don't remember thinking, God, should I take this money? No. I mean, we were, we were, I was fine. I had enough money. Mm -hmm. I didn't need more money. I didn't. Mm -hmm need anything. And it was the business was fun. It was all great to evolve. And if we needed money to evolve, let's do it. Because we did know one day we were going to sell the company. Mm-hmm. And if we we're going to sell the company, then we need to have it valued much greater than where it was. Yeah. So we wanted to put the money in there. So ultimately, well, we would make a lot of money. Yeah. We could make a lot of money one day. Hmm. But the idea was to look, you want to you want to work if you want to be impatient with action, but patient with results. Oof, nice. So if you are impatient with actions, that means you work really, really hard, really, really hard every, every day. And then you sit back and you wait for it to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were doing. So impatience would be to take money out now. Mm-hmm. Patience would be work hard, stay away from withdrawing all that money because one day it'll be a lot more don't cut down the tree until it's bearing fruit. Mm. You can wait. You can get firewood from a tree. But if you wait a few more years, there'll be oranges on there. And isn't that better? Yeah. Yeah. Jay, at what point did you realize I'm onto something big? Like at what, what point in the journey did you say this is going to be huge and I'm, I'm up for it? it? I can't really answer that question with any certainty. I remember certain times in my life when I was walking through the office and I looked around and I went, wow, did we really do this? Or I'd go by through and see a, a room and I'd look in the room and I'd say, I don't know anybody in this room. 
I don't know any of their names. In fact, I don't even recognize half these people. And I'm thinking, that's awesome that we have this company that other people have hired, that other people are developing, and look how much fun they're having. Look, they're on whiteboards, and they've got technology, and they're smiling, and they're animated. And I don't know what they're doing, but I'm sure it's something good. And that meant that I had leveraged these these values to other people and gave them the autonomy to do it. Those are the kinds of things where you can look and go around and say, that is spectacular. I really feel successful because I've helped other people become successful. I'm developing other leaders. But it's really hard for me to think back to a particular time. Yes, there were a few inflection points. Mm -hmm. Back in, in, we started full-time online in, in 2001 when I sold my retail store. And in 2005, we made an acquisition. In 2005, making that acquisition, <clears throat> when we were doing about $15 million at the time, and the target company that we bought was doing $18 million at the time, well, now we're up to 33. And that's a pretty good place to be and gave us the critical mass to be able to hire different positions, C-level positions that we didn't have before. So that probably was the first big step. Mm -hmm. I didn't think at the time, though, wow, we've really made it. I just thought, well, that's a really nice jump. Mm. I like that. But it probably wasn't until maybe we were going to sell the company uh, much earlier than to Home Depot and thought, hey, that seems like a lot of money. I think, yeah, let's sell it. And we, we were going to, and then two weeks beforehand, it fell apart. Okay. It fell apart, but let's uh, just going. On. Maybe we'll sell it again one day. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. Let's wrap it up with a few left ones. Okay, money, spiritual or physical, Jay? Uh, physical. Something I splurge on unapologetically is ice cream and singing with my barbershop quartet. Long <laughs> as <Mommy> possible. <laughs> Traveling to uh, to to Dallas where the other three were for a while and participating in Music Man in that barbershop quartet and just completely disavowing myself from from work. I love that. I love That's that. Awesome. And, I, and I know my husband and you have that in common and our mutual friend, Daniel Cutler. So I, I, I could relate to this. <laughs> Today, I'm most grateful for freedom to not have to worry about money, to mm-hmm. not have to worry now about my health or my wife's health or my children and grandchildren's health, principally. Everything else is secondary to that. Mm -hmm. But I have seven grandkids, five children. I'm very grateful for them. Finally, I'm Jay Steinfeld, and I believe Jewish money matters because... I I don't understand the reference to Jewish money matters as the the show or... In in general, like, why why does it matter? Like, why is it important? Maybe it's the giving aspect or maybe is the values piece of it. Like, what comes to mind? Yes, what comes to mind is Sadaka. That, that was something that even at a, as a young age, we always had a Sadaka box. And when we went to wow. school, we always, first thing we did was give money into Sadaka box. And as I said, we had no money, but that was just something that you automatically did. Yeah. And I think that, the, that giving of whatever you have to somebody else is a great foundation for thinking about people other than yourself. Which brings us back to this four principles for profit and prosperity, ladies and gentlemen, is not just the profit here. Gem of a book, Jane Seinfeld. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everything that you do. This was just a pleasure. Gail, thanks for having me. It was fun. 
Thanks to Jay Steinfeld for stopping by. The book, again, is Lead from the Core, The Four Principles for Profit and Prosperity, and you can find it on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. You can also reach Jay at jaysteinfeld.com, and you can also download there the first chapter of the book, although I'll warn you, you better have some tissues handy and do that at jaysteinfeld.com. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Hope your Hanukkah holiday was wonderful. It was around the this part of the world. I will be back this week, finally, with a much-anticipated Ask Yael with your pressing questions. I know you've been holding on for those. I got you covered. We, I will tackle those questions on Friday. You can now leave a voice note or a text message with your questions via WhatsApp at the number 832-317-6778. That's 832-317-6778. Seven, eight, or you can always DM me on Instagram. That's also great. By the way, I changed my name there. Did you notice? I changed my Instagram handle. I'm Yael Trush on Instagram now. Everyone was supportive of that change. Um, thanks to that Instagram community. It's so nice um, to hear all the feed- feedback. Thank you to all of those who left comments and private messages when I announced the change. Soon the website will be live as well. well I don't know how soon, but you know, we're working on it. And we will have said goodbye to the Jewish Latin princess name for good after so many years. It feels, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a big transition. In the meantime, we just keep making progress around here. Thanks for the support throughout the transition. Additionally, you can send an email to yael at jewishlatinprincess.com and you can submit your questions that way for the Ask Yael Friday episodes. I hope you have a wonderful week.